So I hope you allow that truth to sink in this year that you are an overcomer. Not only that, because he has conquered, we are more than conquerors through Christ. What a great thing it is to be in the family of God, to be a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, and to know that we win. We win. Do you like winning? I like winning. That's who we are. And uh, I want to also take a moment just to endorse uh, Jay's uh, um, plea for our sponsorship of, of children. In fact, uh, several years ago, uh, when we were trying to determine an endorsement for children's sponsorship ministries, our leadership did some significant investigation of, of child sponsorship ministries. And uh, the criterion that were important to us was social justice and physical care and gospel-centered and local church-centered. Those were the necessary criterion for us to endorse a ministry. And uh, we found Compassion, Ministry of Compassion Canada, to fit all of those criteria in a most outstanding way. And I can tell you that, and some have visited their site from here, I can tell you when I visited their actual program in Peru, they are more than they advertise themselves to be. And uh, so I can tell you from personal experience, endorsement, that uh, I, I highly, highly encourage you to, uh, to uh, uh, sponsor a child through Compassion Canada. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are so gracious and kind, patient with us. We thank you for another year that is, has demonstrated to all of us your care for us, your provision, your blessing. Lord God, you, you have helped us in hard times and in good times. <clears throat> you never leave us, you never forsake us. Many challenges have faced many people here and many testimonies can be uh, expressed that you have been good to us. And you have helped us and you have strengthened us in ways that we couldn't have imagined. And we expect nothing less in this coming year. We know that you are there for us. You're a good, a good God. You love us. We know, Father, that you um, have a plan for us and purpose for us. And we love you. And we just want to uh, begin this year well by uh, recommitting ourselves to your word, what you want us to, to know and, and how you want us to live. Lord, we want to demonstrate to us our love for you by our commitment to truth, to living the truth. So, Father, as we dig into the text this morning that introduces this year and uh, the theme that you are presenting to us, I pray, Father, that you would open up our hearts and incline our lives to be submissive to you. And that we might enjoy the journey that you have for us um, as you once again demonstrate yourself to be our God who loves us and cares for us. Has demonstrated that through Christ Jesus, our Savior and Lord. I pray in his name. Amen. Um, I don't know about you, but at Christmas time, the Christmas season, I become uh, rather nostalgic. And uh, one of the ways that... Um, I fulfill that nostalgic need is to fill myself with old movies. There are classics that just have to be viewed at Christmas time. Is that not true? Such as 
Some of you know, uh, what, what are they? What are the classics? A Christmas Carol, of course. What else? It's a wonderful life. Christmas Vacation. Well, <laughs> the Griswolds don't really strike me as classic, but I suppose if you're 13, they might. <laughs> I, kind of, I kind of quieted it down. Um, yeah, yeah, we know the Miracle on 34th Street. There's all those great, great nostalgic movies. And, uh, um, you know, I, I watched, uh, I added a new one to my repertoire this year, uh, Meet Me in St. Louis. You know that movie? That's another classic. Who knows that movie? Uh, the first service seemed to be more in tune with that one than, than this service. A Judy Garland classic. You know, it's, it's, it was written in the, in the 40s, I think, 1946, but it portrays uh, a simpler time in, in, in the, I think it was 1906 or 1908 or something like that. Anyway, one of the things that, that was noted in these nostalgic movies is, the, is the, the difference in behavior of the people in those movies versus the people in contemporary movies. In particular, um, we, we were watching The Christmas Carol, which is, by the way, mandatory in our house on Christmas Eve. Um, it has to be watched. And, uh, you know, one of the scenes there, if you remember, is a group of people... Um, sitting around a piano singing songs. You know that one? And uh, Jordan, my son, says to me, who would do such a thing as sit around a piano and sing songs? And I said, Jordan, I'll have you know that there was a simpler time in life when after a Sunday service, for instance, I remember, how many remember this kind of thing? Yeah, I have to be kind of old to remember this, but... Or, or getting up there. But after church, you'd go to somebody's house and you'd sit around a piano and sing songs. Is that not true? It was good times. And, and so, and I was, I was looking at this Meet Me in St. Louis movie and, and there was depicted there a college university party. All right? Now, the university party, all the people were dressed, the guys were dressed up in suits and, and they were sitting around and singing songs and all this kind of stuff. And I was, I was reeling in my mind a party that night at University of Ontario Technology, U-O-I-T, what is it? University of Ontario Institute of Technology. I was trying, trying to think what a party might be like tonight in a modern university setting. I don't think they'd be dressed in suits. And I don't think they'd be sitting around singing simple songs. And it occurred to me how far morally we have slid in just a few decades. And I want to share with you a text this morning. In fact, you can turn there if you want to. It's 2 Timothy chapter 3. I want to, I want to share a text with you this morning about in the last days. As we set up our coming series for the winter on a God-centered worldview, it has become uh, increasingly apparent, I think, to all of us that the difference morally, even for a f from, a f say, four or five decades, for those of us who are old enough, it has become apparent to us that the audience, the neighborhood, the workplace that we live in 
is dramatically different from the one that was just a few decades ago. In terms of moral values, it wasn't that long ago in an average evangelical church when the moral values within the church were not that dissimilar to the moral values of those people who didn't even know the Lord. But today, the distinction between the true church of Jesus Christ and the moral values that we promote versus the moral values of those outside of the church are almost as different as if we were a different order of creation altogether. So the question arises, how ought we to live and what do we need to know and how should we carry ourselves in the culture that we're trying to reach for Jesus Christ? I think there are some very important questions that need to be asked in in the year 2015 and answered by how we live. Questions like, how urgent are the days we live in spiritually? How hard are we going to have to fight for the truth? How critical is it for us to be solidly grounded in the truth? How far along are we in the prophetic clock? How close are we to the end of days? How important is this series that we're going to embrace ensuring your family and and you are living the truth and knowing what you believe, knowing why you believe it, knowing how to express what you believe, knowing how to explain what you believe, able to recognize truth from error. Well, um, the Apostle Paul was uh, about to leave this life And he writes a letter to his protege, his mentoree, Timothy, a young uh, budding preacher. And um, he shares with him that there are coming times when it is going to get very, very difficult to share the truth. Now, um, that's not new. In fact, from the very beginning of the scriptures right through, there has always been opposition to the truth about God. In fact, even within the body of this section of the letter uh, that Paul writes, he he reminds young Timothy that back in Moses' day, there was a couple of guys who were were opposing the truth. He, He also reminds Timothy that during his lifestyle, or during his lifetime in Antioch and Iconium and Lystra, that he faced great suffering and persecution. And so it's not new that that God's people would face persecution for embracing the truth but he writes to him and said there is coming a time when it is going to be increasingly difficult and he talks about the last days now again the last days are not a new concept in the bible at all in fact the last days kind concept uh, comes out of the old testament it talks about the time of Yahweh's victory, his glorious victory at the end of history. You can read that in, in t- passages like Hosea 3.5 or Micah 4.1. And interestingly, uh, just before Jesus was about to ascend into heaven, his disciples uh, asked him if he was about to bring in the kingdom. And uh, in Acts chapter 1 verse 6. And, and so there they connected, in fact, 
that Christ and Yahweh were one and the same. That their expectation of theirs of Christ was that this should be the time of great victory, of the, the completion of history, that, that eternity was about to begin. Well, it will come. It is going to come. But before it comes, there is a description here of what it's going to be like to live in the, day, in the, last, in the real last days. And I, I've entitled it Living in Moral Badlands. I know that every preacher for the last 2,000 years has been saying we're in the last days and I wouldn't disappoint my dad if I, if I were to say, dad, I think we're in the last days. He, he's been saying that since I was five years old, I think. Son, we're in the last days. One of these days and we're going to be in church and Jesus is going to come back and get us. And I believe that's true. And so I, I believe that we're, we're in the last days and we're living in the moral badlands and and what's, it, what's the reality here? Well, importantly to us is, how can we be people who produce great outcomes in our lives? So let, let's read the text together, and then let's dig in for a few moments. But mark this, it says in verse 1 of 3. There will be terrible times in the last days. Now, Paul, you know, was not living in a really fun time. So when he says that there will be terrible times. He's talking about something pretty messy. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Don't sit around pianos and sing. That's a different translation. You can see why when you're reading this description that people would say, well, yeah, we're in the last days. Are you reading this and, and, and thinking what I'm thinking? Having a form of godliness but denying its power have nothing to do with them. They are the kind who worm their way into homes and gain control over weak-willed women who are loaded down with sins and are swayed by all kinds of evil desires, always learning but never able to acknowledge the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so also these men oppose the truth, men of depraved minds, who as far as the faith is concerned are rejected. But they will not get very far because in, as in the case of those men, their folly will be clear to everyone. You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecution, sufferings, what kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, the persecutions I endured, yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Note that. That's talking about you, talking to you. While evil men and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. 
Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. This is the word of God. Now, as I said, this primarily was written, of course, to a, a, a young um, uh, upcoming preacher named Timothy. But this text is, is absolutely appropriate for us as we begin our journey this year uh, of uh, this, this winter in, in uh, understanding what we believe, why we believe it, and, and how to live what we believe. And, and can I say that just by way of description in living in the Badlands, I want to just share a couple of things and highlight a couple of things as we try to, to get a, a grip of, of uh, what the context is and, quite frankly, how closely linked our culture is to the descriptions, I think, that are here. Uh, one of the descriptions, of course, of what it is in the culture in the last days is it'll be lovers of self and money in particular. And, and I, I, it's, it sets up really um, all the other problems, the love of self and the love of money. We were never made to love ourselves. God didn't create us to love ourselves. In fact, he created us to be in community and to have a, a, a community of people loving one another. And when you think about it, uh, love, loving yourself is, is, is not enough as it compares to the benefits of having numbers of people who love you and care for you. That, that's the ultimate beauty of living in community. The idea of loving lovers of money is to, is to really gain independence from God rather than dependence upon God. And so these are descriptions that really set up all of the other things, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to parents, all the other things that follow that. It also highlights here that that materialism stands against spiritual, spirituality. They cannot coexist. One always buries the other. In this context, the idea is that the pursuit of happiness outside of God is a dis- definition of materialism, independent of God. Materialism and, and pursuit of happiness and pleasure to find in things what seems to be absent from God, to get what God has not chosen to give. As a replacement for God altogether. Sensationalism. You see here that that there's a description about having a form of godliness. Notice verse 5. Having a form of godliness but denying its power. Have nothing to do with them. Then it says they are the kind who worm their way into homes and gain control over weak-willed women who are loaded down with sins and are swayed by all kinds of evil desires. Always learning but never able to acknowledge the truth. The, um, the description here is, um, is one that perhaps was less likely able to happen in Paul's time to the degree that it can happen now. Think about this. It describes here worming their way into homes. And, and later on in the text, it talks about gathering around themselves multiple, multitudes of teachers that will tell them what they want to hear. Now, what, what era, in what era could that predominantly occur, if not in ours? 
When you think about it, the, the TV screen, the computer uh, 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 screen, the ability for outside forces to worm their way into homes, to, to bring multiple numbers of teachers and information into our homes, if, it were not, if it's not in this particular setting, this particular time. And so you have this idea whereby uh, these individuals who have a form of godliness uh, and they, uh, they, they're the kind, they're, 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 they have the ability to, to bring sensational ideas. And, and, and the idea of one writer is that sensational, of course, trumps serious truth every time among the gullible. It says always learning, but never able to acknowledge the truth or recognize what is real. And I, I was thinking about this text as I was reading, and I was thinking, what is the description here that, that is most parallel uh, in our culture? And I was thinking of the Oprah nation. That's what struck me, is the Oprah nation. Worming its way into the minds of weak-willed women who are sensitized to their sinfulness. And, and I, thought, I thought about this, and I thought about, about the fact that that women, uh, as I have experienced in ministry, have a, have a sensitivity towards spiritual things and a desire toward a spiritual journey that, that regularly goes beyond that of a man. And uh, the pursuit of the spiritual is very acutely felt by women. And Oprah has, 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 has definitely um, uh, landed on that idea and is exploiting that idea. And, and you have this, this idea of women who, are, who have a vulnerable sense of their own sinfulness searching in their hearts for a spiritual answers to spiritual concerns. And so you have this them being victimized by those who pretend to be socially or spiritually responsible. And I can tell you that from my perspective, and I don't watch Oprah as a rule, but I can tell you that if Oprah endorses something, it's probably wrong. And if Oprah were to ever endorse my ministry, you should probably fire me. Because the, the, the idea here is, um, you'll notice here, this idea of religious forms, a form of godliness, but denying its power. Be very, very vigilant in these days. Watch out for religious forms that have no gospel function. That's the distinction. That's what he's talking about here in this idea of, of lacking the power. Isn't it Paul who wrote to the Romans and said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel? Why? Because it is what? The power of God unto salvation to them that believe. There is religious forms out there, spirituality out there, that stops short of the power of the gospel. There are religious forms that, that spend great deals of energy in um, ceremony and religiosity, but... And even references to God and his love, but ignore the power of God and the other teachings of God, such as God is also righteous, God is also holy, God is also a God of justice, God is also a God of wrath. 
Beware of those who suggest that God's love is all there is. You don't need to be saved. You don't need to be sanctified. You just finally need to believe that you are loved because love wins after all. Even the most naive parent doesn't function like that. Tell your toddler that God loves them and nothing else as they swallow a bottle of Tylenol. None of us would do such a thing. And so there's this denial of scriptural power passages. Listen, mark this down. Moral defection is always rooted in doctrinal defection. Once you leave the truth of God's word, you will always, always slide into immorality. So Paul then, in the next section, verses 10 through 17, contrasts a teacher, a true teacher, a teacher of truth versus a false teacher, uh, of true godliness rather than a form of godliness. I'm not going to spend very much time in this section because we're going to come back to that in our series, but I want to introduce it to you as the better way to live. He talks here about right doctrine that leads to right living. He says to Timothy, you know how I lived. You know what I believed in. And in fact, he pulls out four very important and key um, statements that I want to, key ways of living that I want to just quickly highlight with you. Faith, patience, love, and endurance. Now keep in mind that Paul is talking about living in a time of persecution and opposition. He's talking about what it really means to serve God and, and live with God as your king and, and, and God as your planner, your, your, the, the one who, who, who leads in the purposes for your life. And, and he's talking about the context of this opposition and suffering and the reality that when you live the truth, that you will be opposed. That, that there, there will be an economic cost to it, perhaps. There will be a friend cost to it. There will perhaps be a, a number of different costs to, to serving the Lord. And therefore, he talks about these key things in his own life that really coalesce around the idea of waiting on the Lord. The emphasis is, here is on waiting. Faith, patience, love, endurance. All about waiting on the Lord. Keep in mind in terms of really understanding the nature of what it means to be genuine versus disingenuous, he is talking here about faith as it relates to that God really is. That you believe God is even though you can't always see his hand immediately in your situation. Faith is believing that God is a reward, rewarder of those who diligently seek him even though the reward may be deferred longer than you'd like it to be. Regularly, we're in God's waiting room. We're waiting, for, waiting on God. That's where the whole idea of patience comes in. If you can't learn to wait, you will struggle to live in God's agenda. His purposes are complex and complicated. And we already know, we've already experienced in our lives that His ways are above our ways. And so we learn that, that it's require, it requires of us to live patiently before God. If we're going to stick this out, if we're going to endure, if we're going to continue to follow and serve the Lord with all of our hearts, it's going to require faith, it's going to require patience, it's going to require love. Loving a mysterious God and exper experiencing the love of a mysterious God at times. It's going to require loving, annoying neighbors isn't it? 
None of us have those. It's going to require that we love those who oppose us or are actually our enemies. This is an entirely different concept. It's going to require us to endure. Paul says, I endured. What does endure mean? It means put up with. That's, that's really how you would translate that word. It means to put up with. How many here have had to put up with nothing in 2014? Anybody? You've had to put up with stuff, haven't you? I mean, God has required it of you to be faithful to God and to serve him in the midst of real persecution and hardship requires endurance. And by the way, this is not self-generated endurance. I'll just put up with, I'll just tough it out. That's what God's asking me to do. No, that's not what he's asking you to do. He's enabling you to endure through the power and presence of the Spirit of God. And only that way. Paul's describing his life in Christ, explaining that by Christ I'm able to be faithful. By Christ I'm able to be patient. By Christ I'm able to love as I ought. By Christ I'm able to put up with. And this whole idea of a better way to live is based upon the dependence upon God. To, be lover, to, to love God with all of your heart. Now, he gets to the point in his letter where perhaps he, he feels that it's necessary to bring a, an endorsement to what he's saying. I mean, it could seem as if this is just what Paul is saying or this is just what anybody who takes this text is saying and preaching. Paul says to Timothy, now I want you to know that there's a, probably a question when you're preaching this that people are going to ask. And when you tell people that this is the way they're expected to live, they're going to say this particular question. And the question is this, says who? Isn't that question? Says who? And so Paul's really answering the question that everybody's really asking. And he says to Timothy, here's what people are going to ask. They're going to ask, who says this? And so then he says, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, in view of his appearing in his kingdom, I give you this charge. He says to him, I'll tell you who says so. God says so. You want an endorsement of what I'm telling you today? Paul says, you want an endorsement, Timothy, of, of everything that I'm sharing with you as my young protege to go out and preach? I'll tell you who says this. The God of glory says this. The king of the universe. The creator of all things. This is what God says to do. I'm bringing you the ultimate resume, Timothy. It doesn't get any higher than this. There is no greater resume in all of creation than this resume. And so he says, this is how great outcomes are produced. It's by Almighty God. God teaches us. All scripture, he says here, is God-breathed. In other words, the breath of God that nudged the pens of holy prophets. This is the qualifier. It's the authority of God. And it gives seriousness to everything Paul is saying here. And so how are great outcomes produced as we conclude this in this section in chapter 4? By the primacy of the proclamation of God's word. How are we going to live in this culture, potentially in the last days, a, a culture that's lover of self, lover of money, lover of, lover of pleasures, who are fabricating forms of spirituality, foisting them on victims, 
How are we going to live in these days? It's going to be through the primacy of the proclamation of God's word. It's going to be by recognizing that this present, in the presence of God, that his presence will enable us to be strong and that he will be with us. It's for us to understand that, that he will judge the living and the dead. It's for us to understand that this God who is with us, Emmanuel, God with us, Christ in us, is to recognize that he is the judge of the living and the dead. He is the one that determines that justice matters. He's the one who, by the way, notices how each one of us live our lives. When you are wondering out there if it matters whether or not you live righteously and turn from untruth and, cho and choose truth, when, when nobody around you notices, when opposition is mounting and when people uh, are persecuting you and when it's costing you economically and when it's costing you friends and nobody seems to be really noticing you, it matters to all of us that the judge of all, Christ himself, notices everything. He sees your life. He knows how you've lived. He knows what you've done and what you haven't done in his name for his glory. He's the one who will judge. And in uh, 1 Corinthians um, chapter 3, verses 12 through 15, it tells us there that Christians will be judged on the, basis of, of, on the basis of how we built Christ's church, the contribution we made to his church, to his kingdom. That's why an international sponsorship ministries one of those ways that we can be part of what God is doing around the world. While Oshawa is our primary responsibility in the region of Durham as primary responsibility God has given to us, we are about the kingdom of God and it's seen the kingdom of God expanded. When a little child is won to Christ in Lima, Peru, because someone in Calvary Baptist Church in Oshawa sponsored them so that they were able to get to church and find out about Jesus, it's a big win for our church. And so Paul says that, um, you know, this, this is who you are serving. He's going to appear. So don't cave. He's coming for you to set all things right. His kingdom is, is he, he's the one who is the king of his kingdom. So if you've made the choice to follow Christ, you've made the, a great choice. Listen to him rather than lesser gods. Because from God's perspective... Knowing is necessary for doing, and doing is everything. In fact, six times in the letters to Timothy, the two letters to Timothy, 1 Timothy 2.10, 2 Timothy 2.21, and 3.17, six times it's emphasized that it matters what you do with what you know. It's not just about knowing or having knowledge or Bible knowledge. It's that you live the truth. So... How do we wrap this up in terms of what should be the priorities of this coming year for our lives? I think it should be this, that we lock and load our lives on unmovable truth, that we prioritize the preaching of God's word and your presence and my presence in the hearing of God's word. It should be on your high priority list. Listen, it says here in verse 2, preach the word. Well, the, it's presupposed by the Apostle Paul. That Timothy is going to preach the word to somebody. I mean, I suppose he could preach in the mirror to himself. But it's, it's, it's suggesting that, that it's to preach the word to someone. And, and it seems to me that if the command of God, 
the high God of heaven who, who is the king of all, who, who is coming again, who is judging and is present among us, says that a high priority for us is to preach the word. It's surely a high priority to put ourselves in the hearing of the preaching of God's word, isn't it? It would seem to me that, that on our to-do list, on a high priority on our to-do list for 2015, is to make sure that we put ourselves in the sound of the hearing of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That we prioritize that, not occasionally, but that is a regular part of our lives. Because there's coming a time and coming a day when that is going to fall into disfavor. And I think those days are upon us. I think the days that are described here are upon us for a time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. You know, here in this whole lock and load our lives on unmovable truth, the, fir the first reality of that is to be able to endure sound doctrine against the onslaught of political correctness and cultural sensitivities and human standards. What does sound doctrine really mean? It means spiritually healthy teaching. We already know what endure means. It means you need to be able to put up with spiritually healthy teaching so that you'll be able to combat the other side of what's being foisted on you, which is political correctness, cultural sensitivities, and human ideas, human standards, which are based upon human feelings and affections and sentimentalities and visuals. And Paul is saying it's going to get painful. And it is going to get more and more painful for followers of Jesus Christ in an age where political correctness is the gospel. Because at, where we live today, where you work today, where you go to school today, it is considered rude, obnoxious, bad form, antisocial to challenge anyone's way of thinking or living. And so when you stand up and say, I'm going to lock and load my life on unmovable truth, you have automatically put yourself in opposition to the culture. You see, a culture that makes its standards based on human sensitivities and human standards explains why a, a furry, cute, cuddly little seal is, is more important to save than a human embryo. Because a human embryo isn't cute, cuddly, and fuzzy. It also says in this text, instead, to suit their desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. You and I need to seek out teachers who will teach us what we need to hear and not ear salve messaging. In the description of the, of the scriptures here, it says that the scriptures are good for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Do you realize that um, uh, this whole picture here is, is, the, uh, is the idea that what our culture is really looking for, as, as, one, uh, as one commentator, one writer said, says it, are looking for assorted peddlers of agreeable pleasantries. If that doesn't describe our age and what people are looking for in spiritual teaching, in fact, people are looking for happy, inspiring thoughts from Pastor Guy Smiley. That's what they're looking for. But if you understand what the scriptures are all about, it says the scriptures are, good, are, are, are important for teaching, correcting, rebuking, and training in righteousness, which means straightening our lives up. 
Now, when you take that into four quarters, three quarters of it is not really cute, cuddly, fuzzy pleasantries. Correcting, rebuking, and straightening you up. You hear what I'm saying? Straightening me up, too. That's what the Word of God is about. So, if you thought 2014 was rough from the platform of Calvary Baptist Church, you ain't heard nothing yet. We're going to prioritize correcting, rebuking, and straightening everybody up. I mean, that's what the text talks about. That's what the scriptures are about. We need to gather around ourselves teachers who would tell us what God wants us to hear, not what our tickly ears want to hear. Isn't that what the scriptures teach us? And then ultimately it says here, they will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. Critical for us in 2015 as a congregation is to make sure that we turn to the truth to determine the way we will live and away from popular sayings and traditional myths. Now, what are these popular sayings? Because these are what you need to watch out for. This is what's trending around us. In fact, do you notice what it says here? That they'll, they're, in, the, in the matter of truth, not only do they not want to, they don't want to hear anything uh, worthwhile, but won't hear it. Won't hear of it. Now, you've heard some of these popular phrases, popular myths, or popular sayings. As long as they love each other, right? Or as long as nobody's getting hurt. Or um, this is the way I was made. Or religion is responsible for all the wars in the world. Well, let me just name Stalin, Hitler, Mao. They weren't religious guys. They slaughtered more people than anyone else. Many ways to God. You've heard, you're hearing that. There's so many religions that can't get along. How can anyone claim exclusive truth? And then my favorite of all favorites is the uh, popular saying that um, all of creation came about by the explosion of a hand grenade. That, that's, that's what the best that science is giving us. The latest National Geographic arrived and I was looking at it once again and realizing, oh yes, yes, there was this giant grenade floating around in space. But there was nobody to pull the pin, so we don't know how that happened. But all of a sudden, there was this explosion, and pop, here we all are. That in every other instance, in all of creation... When you have an explosion, it destroys. But this one, one time, there was an explosion. And all of a sudden, out of an explosion, we got ourselves some people on this earth. That's how y'all came about. I was thinking about not being sarcastic in 2015. <laughs> I've broken my resolution already. The truth has become so foreign that it isn't even missed in our culture anymore. And so he concludes this by saying, 
discharge all the duties of your ministry. Let me give you this challenge. To those who are preachers and teachers, what's your duty? What's your mission? Preach the word of God. Tell the truth, God's truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. The hard sayings and the popular sayings, the hard truth and the easy truth. In season and out of season. The gentle parts and the parts that really challenge us. And what about to the hearers of God's word? Be willing to be hearers of God's truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. The things that you find hard to hear and the things that are more gentle to hear. The things that you wouldn't necessarily want to hear, but the things that you need to hear. That's what it means to discharge all of your duties of your ministry in this coming year. It seems to me that um, the question needs to be asked, what is your standard for how you will feel and think and act in 2015? Is it going to be the truth of God's word? Or social sensitivities, political correctness, ear-salve messaging, popular sayings from the culture? Because the standard from which you think determines your destiny. What you and I think matters. And we're going to dig deeply into that in this coming term. Father, we pray this morning that you will inform our minds in such a way this winter, this season, that our lives will be adjusted to your ways in, in ways that are profoundly beyond what we could have imagined or thought. I pray, Father, that we will embrace what you want for us, that we will understand that, that your truth sometimes feels out of season, sometimes it feels in season, but either way, Lord, May our hearts be inclined toward your truth. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Let me encourage you uh, in a discipline for this year if you have not uh, embraced the idea, and that is to uh, get involved in one of our discipling communities. We really, really would encourage you to do that. It's an opportunity to get up close with God's word and God's people and really work through some hard details of God's word and be challenged in your lives and make sure that we're applying the truth of God's word. It's critical for our lives. These book, books are excellent. $15, pick them up on your way out and get involved in a community. We, we really encourage everybody within in the church here to, uh, to take on this discipline in 2015. Um, I'm convinced that God will work through it to change your life and, uh, and better equip you. These are not days when we can afford to not know what we believe or why we believe it or be confident in the truth. These are days when we need to be able to refute the lies with truth. And uh, I just think it, it requires a, a, an upgrade in the, in, the, in the commitment that we have to God's word and spending time in God's word with God's people. So let's go after it this year in a, in a way that's beyond anything we've ever done before. Our Father, we thank you for the start of a new year. 
we resolve to be your people, to uh, respond to your promptings in our lives, and to see the great and glorious things that you want to do and, and will do in and through us in this year. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.